You are listening to the voice of Ahlus Sunnah Wal Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Well, had a bit of a different nizam there coming into my show. Not the usual one. Mm, I prefer the other one, but okay. We'll, we'll, we'll make do happy, happy, happy. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Well, welcome to another edition of Business Matters with me, your host, Alameen Templeton. Uh, after a rather quiet and sedate Monday, uh, I guess uh, everyone's still kind of like digesting that sudden increase in RAND value last week after Moody's forwent for uh, shooting a bullet through our heads. Is, there, is that one way of seeing it? Uh, maybe, you know, um, if Moody's had issued uh, an assessment of South Africa rather than just an unofficial opinion. Our economy could have even given a better boost than what we did get, uh, because if we're going to remain on investment grade, that was the big news that everyone wanted to hear. Uh, and Moody's kind of like let that out from like the, the 20th paragraph down, oh, by the way. Although, you know, if it hasn't removed our investment grade, that's maybe one reason why we've retained it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the country could have, uh, could have benefited from a full-on official assessment of our debt ratings rather than just uh, Moody's foregoing, uh, issuing a full formal assessment, given its opinion. Uh, not that its opinion is supposed to count anything, although obviously the opinion did have a very good effect on our markets. But I think we could have got a bit more out of Moody's than, than what we did get. Uh, and anyway, Moody's, just like everyone else, is nervous to know what's going to be happening with the, uh, with the elections in May. Uh, quite a few elections going on around the world, aren't there? Even even apartheid Israel is holding sham elections in its own country, uh, pretending that it's a democracy like uh, apartheid South Africa. Um, uh, yeah, um, apartheid Israel uses exactly the same kind of terms and uh, language and and also policies. When in actual fact, you know, they're more murderous than the apartheid uh, regime. Far more murderous, bloodthirsty, I think you could uh, describe them. I guess that's just the way Nazis go, you know. Um, yeah, even, even even Nazi Israel is going to be holding sham elections uh, next, uh, well, well, next month, actually. Uh, yeah, so are they going to re-elect old, old Benji to the, to the forefront of, of, are they going to put his finger on the trigger again? Uh, well, it seems like they like to they like to kill Palestinians or any or any dirty Semites that uh, call Muslims. Uh, so yeah, I wonder where uh, Israel is going to be after their elections. Uh, what happened uh, in Israel today is the Reserve Bank forwent increasing interest rates. So very interesting. Uh, but anyway, we'll be having a look at uh, Zionist interest rates coming up a bit later in the show. Uh, we are going to be looking at uh, the Trani Metro. Is the DA running it cleaner than ANC? The World Bank has cut its growth forecast for Sub-Saharan Africa. What does that mean for us? What does it mean for our neighbors? Iqbal Servers, AO Technology, grossly overvalued, says its own CIO, the Chief Information Officer, also says that in actual fact half of the company is illegitimate. It doesn't have real clear books. A lot of dirty laundry coming out at the PIC inquiry today. Uh, sure, um, I must say independent newspapers looking a lot more tattered and sad uh, than it was looking. And you would not have believed that it could get sadder uh, under Tony O'Reilly, a real carpet-bagging uh, capitalist, that one. Uh, but it, it would appear that Iqbal Server is uh, very much cut in the same cloth. <laughs> 
unfortunately. The JSCE has been called to testify in the PIC inquiry. They want to uh, check up on some claims that Iqbal Server made during his testimony. I'd just like to point out, you can't be held in contempt of a commission of inquiry by giving false information. You can only be found contempt of an inquiry by prejudging or pre-publishing its findings. Uh, you can say these are the findings of the public inquiry and they're not, you've just made them up. That's the only way you can be found in contempt of an inquiry. Uh, so Iqbal Server knows uh, that, uh, well, I don't know, maybe he doesn't know. Uh, but uh, if you didn't know, Mr. Iqbal, uh, I can assure you that um, if uh, even if the inquiry finds that you lied to them, uh, you can't be held in contempt. So you can relax a little bit uh, after what I guess was a very rough day. Um, I'm not going to be looking good in the newspapers tomorrow, most principally your, your, your arch enemy, Business Day. Um, not that your business report has uh, done much different uh, under your command. Um, you know, goes on about white capital, white capital, white capital. But uh, when he gets in charge, what has he done with these newspapers? A real amateur in charge. And I, and I mean, that's what, that's what analysts from the Public Investment Corporation, the government's uh, administrator for its pension funds, and that's what analysts at the PIC were saying. This guy, has, he's, he's, he's an amateur. He's got absolutely no experience in publishing. Uh, how, can, how can we give him a, a loan to help him buy this group? Nevertheless, they went ahead. Now it's, it's, it's like watching um, a spoiled child, really, seriously. I mean, Iqbal's service strikes me as being the kind of guy whose mother loved him a little bit too much when he was young. I mean, it's where he really brought down apartheid single-handedly the way he goes on. But I'll tell you what, uh, many of the journalists working at his newspaper group, some of them white, did a lot more than what he did. And uh, he has gone and trashed, well, you know, they stood by while Tony O'Reilly trashed their reputation. So they can't really complain, you know. I think it was something like about... Uh, uh, 20 years of Tony O'Reilly and uh, all of those people who stood up and complained while um, Iqbal Server took over, they said nothing while Tony O'Reilly raped that company uh, and then suddenly they discover their outrage when a, when a black person takes over I would say there was a very strong racial element to a lot of the protests about Iqbal taking over um, unfortunately it would appear that many of those protests were quite accurate, unfortunately I must say. So anyway, let's go and have a look at the tail of the tape. In as much as the JSE is a bellwether for our economy, uh, you can go and tell that to people in Toyandu, in Bushpark Ridge, um, in places like that, and uh, they will tell you they don't even know what the JSE is. Um, is the JSE important? Uh, well, I always used to wonder when I was walking through uh, Santon, if someone dropped an atom bomb on Santon and killed all of the lawyers and the accountants and the traders, and uh, uh, would the country be better off or worse off? Would would uh, the economy recover the next day? Hmm. I wonder. 
Anyway, uh, the JSE finished in the green again today. Only had one red uh, day uh, last week, or no, two on Monday and Thursday. Everything else was in the green. Today it's in the green again. However, the rand has retraced some steps against the dollar. It's up against the pound and the euro. But that's according to valuations on Sunday, compared to valuations on Sunday. I like to compare valuations to the to the previous day when I was actually reporting on them. So we can come like remain in the same book, if you know what I mean. Uh, and uh, according to that measure, well, um, the JSE, yes, the JSE is up. Um, uh, yeah, the Rand is trading at 14.10 uh, to the dollar uh, uh, today. No, no, on Friday it was trading at 14.10. Today the dollar closed at 14.9. Uh, so, yeah, so we're a little bit, little bit stronger there, although it's kind of like showing an arrow downwards on, well, that is actually a recovery, uh, the way they do it on Chenet. Um, we can see that the uh, the pound value, uh, we're 1839 today, and we were on 1840 on Friday. So, yeah, very much the, right about in the same boat we were. We have, however, gained ground against the Turkish lira, not surprising, as uh, it's under severe pressure and has been under severe pressure since uh, last year. Um, American banks waging uh, lawfare and warfare, economic warfare against Turkey. Um, I'm not going to put it in any other way. And uh, when South Africa starts misbehaving, they're going to do exactly the same thing to us. Because basically, in many ways, we are in the same kind of boat with Turkey. Uh, we're among 20 emerging market currencies that have been identified by Bloomberg to be taken out by the stronger currencies of the developed world. I wonder what a Bloomberg editor would think of, uh, would think of hearing me saying that. But that's kind of like the way I see it. I mean, uh, you, if you read Bloomberg, you'll see they, whenever they speak about the RAND, they'll say, ah, the, the RAND uh, in uh, the, comparison to 20 uh, currency pairs or currency peers, rather. Um, the 20 currency peers are basically emerging market currencies that have been identified as being vulnerable currencies that can be um, used to loot resources from those countries. And that's essentially what happens with South Africa on a daily basis with our currency transactions. Uh, with the collusion, I would like to say, of Reuters and Bloomberg, um, they both have uh, their... Currency trading platforms are the main currency trading platforms in the world. <clears throat> so now when uh, Reuters says, oh, Financial Times has said that uh, the, the trade talks between the United States and China have hit a rut and they're likely to go down. Then all of the traders using uh, Reuters uh, trading platforms say, all right, cool, cool, man, there's a signal we can... Um, we can uh, we can knock the UN or we can knock the RAND or we can go to war against our emerging currencies and you know it's, it's it's basically it seems to me that Bloomberg and and Reuters essentially establish the main um, what's the word when you when you're biased against something uh, you have uh, inherent um, prejudice yeah basically. It seems to me that on a daily basis, Bloomberg and Reuters act as the main, the main ground prejudice and excuse to take out a currency.
If you want to take out a currency, you want a better currency today, we're putting this news, this news bulletin out based on our trading platform. So now, to what extent uh, does trading on the trading platform inform Reuters' um, journalism? And to what extent does Reuters' journalism inform trading on the platform? Are there, uh, you know, they call them Chinese walls, and uh, are the Chinese walls as inscrutable as one should presume? Or is it just a misnomer? Uh, because really... Um, I think it's very dodgy uh, as a journalist uh, that journalist organizations, media organizations, can in actual fact be so close to and par a participant in the market. There can absolutely be no journalism coming out of Bloomberg, no journalism coming out of Reuters. As long as they are participants in the market, well, then there's, you can't trust a word that comes out of them. As long as they have those trading platforms, as far as I'm concerned, they're not even journalist organizations. I mean, they're public relations organizations. That's what they are. It, 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 it is completely uh, unacceptable uh, that... Um, Organizations claiming to be journalism organizations uh, are in actual fact like the main participants in the markets. I'm sure that they would like to say that in actual fact, you know, they do maintain an arm's length relationship and all that kind of nonsense. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's unacceptable for me. Maybe we should get the competition onto our show and discuss this in a bit more detail. I really think uh, it's a, it is an issue that needs to be uh, highlighted in South Africa. That these are sham, or they, they, these are not journalist organizations. They're currency trading platforms. It's a, it's a public relations exercise for, uh, for Bloomberg's currency trading platform. That's what Bloomberg is. It's not a news organization, just as much as Reuters. It's not a news organization. That's my way. That's the way I see it. So the Chwani Metro, the ANC and the DA have been arguing with each other over the last while over what's been happening in Chwani. The DA came in and they said, well, there you see, we have, uh, we have turned a deficit in the, previous in the previous year, under the previous administration, into a surplus. The ANC said, that's a lot of nonsense. We didn't leave uh, Chwani in debt. We didn't leave them uh, with a whole lot of uh, lousy stuff in their books. We left them healthy and clean looking, and it was nice. Uh, we've left, we left them with a surplus. This DA doesn't know what they're talking about. Uh, so anyway, um, on, the, on the one hand, uh, the DA uh, says that they inherited a billion rand surplus, and in one year in office, they turned that into a surplus. A billion rand deficit, and in one year they turned it into a surplus. Uh, the DA was elected to govern Chwane in 2016. Uh, in August, when it took over the running of the municipality from the ANC, uh, what remained in the city coffers when the ANC left? Okay. Uh, in January 2018, the mayor of Chwane, Solim Simanga, released a press release claiming he had clawed the city back from financial ruin. He said a deficit of 1.3 billion had been reversed. A year later, DA Member of Parliament Pumzile van Dam said her party had inherited a 2 billion deficit from 2 billion rand deficit from the ANC. The ANC continued refuted these claims. They said the ANC left a surplus of 736 million rand in 2016. That's according to the Gauteng Head of Social Development, Nandi Mayatula Koza. Uh, ANC Regional Chairperson Jose Maepa reportedly gave the same figure for the surplus. 
So what happens? Okay, so when a deficit occurs, when you spend more money than you collect, and uh, so uh, let's go and have a look at at the figures. Uh, In an executive summary, um, the Auditor General's report of the, an executive summary of the Auditor General's report says that uh, at the end of the 2015-2016 financial year, the city of Chwane had a surplus of 884 million rands. Uh, but the city's audited annual financial statements gave a restated surplus of 1.1 billion rands. That figure includes corrections of accounting uh, errors identified later. Um, right, so what does this mean? Does the DA know how to calculate a, a deficit? Um, the International Budget Partnership in South Africa, it's a network that aims to make public finance systems more transparent. They said, uh, uh, they referred us to a press statement by Msimango who said we, should use to, we could use to cross-check the figures. Uh, it c- included a table calculating the financial performance of the municipality and it noted that capital transfers are recognized when coming to that um, to that figure. So now it turns out that in actual fact, uh, without the capital transfers from national government to Tuane, when the ANC left, uh, they actually had a deficit. If you do not count those capital transfers from government, which are not part of your operational budget, right? So you're given a certain amount of money uh, and you generate a certain amount of money and at the end of the year, if you're an independent, standalone, and profitable uh, entity, then you will have collected more money than what you've spent. And that is called, and you will take the money that you come in and the money that you spent and you put them together and you'll say, this is my operational budget. This is the money that I got from operations and this is the money I spent on operations. Right. So um, when you look at it that way, uh, before the money has come from a national government, when the ANC finished uh, ba- balancing their books, their operational budget at the end of the year, they had more than a billion rands in debt. Then money came from national government, and then they said, well, now we had a, a 700, rand, 700 million rand surplus. So in actual fact, the way things look, the DA in actual fact is right. They have in actual fact, it turned around a deficit into a surplus. However, I would just like to point out that when the Auditor General gets involved, things always get a little bit murky, don't they? Because it turns out that the Auditor General said that in actual fact, uh, according to his latest report, Chuan's wasteful spending has worsened under the DA in Council. Uh, uh, let's go and try and find that story. The Auditor General says Trani Metro under the DA has racked up more than 5 billion rands in irregular expenditure over the last financial year. Making matters even worse, more than 1.6 billion rand has already been irregularly spent in the current year. Auditor General Kimi Makwetu said that the city also failed to recover a large part of its debt. He said reasonable steps were not taken to prevent the waste of city funds. The majority of disclosed irregular expenditure was caused by non-compliance of the municipal supply chain management regulations. Disciplinary steps needed to be taken against officials who caused such wasteful expenditure, according to the Auditor General's report. The city's MMC for Finance, Mare Louise Fouri, says this year's 1.6 billion rand figure includes expenditure on the smart meter and 
sorry, excuse me, Wi-Fi contract signed during the ANC's tenure. So, uh, according to all of this nonsense, it would appear that in actual fact uh, the ANC uh, did leave Tuane in a debt. And uh, the DA has in actual fact been able to turn it around. But in so doing, the DA has also been engaging in a whole lot of irregular expenditure. All right, so um, is that a little bit better than uh, what we had under the ANC? Um, I guess you could say that, yes, it is. Um, but then when you have a look at the whole things, um, the expenditure on the ANC wasn't that bad. I mean, um, it was still after, you know, all the government swapping around of monies and so on, it was still in the black. So that's a good thing, isn't it? Um, the DA has turned it around, has been running a tighter ship, and there were major problems in the, the Trani Metro's uh, finances with their free Wi-Fi rollout, which is a lot of nonsense, and their smart meter contract with Pew. What a lot of nonsense that was. They were warned repeatedly that this thing isn't going to work. Um, you haven't done your homework. Uh, and Pew has just been making money hand over fist. Um, it it, it uh, uh, installed a whole lot of uh, smart meters that are supposed to uh, be able to distribute electricity more efficiently, are able to calculate bills more efficiently, meant it would cut costs for the metro and would increase revenue coming in. It sounded like a dream and of course it rolled out like a nightmare. Uh, and nevertheless, uh, the city of Chuane, that was under, what is that mayor's name again? Gwen Ramachoka. Uh, yeah, uh, her brother or husband, uh, yeah, he was the one who signed everything off there. And uh, yeah, a complete and utter mess. Um, I, I, I was once in a meeting with that guy, the, the, that former mayor, uh, where a proposal was being put that uh, they, would, uh, they would print uh, 900,000 newspapers, uh, a Chwani Metro newspaper. Uh, they were going to print 900,000 uh, Chwani Metro newspapers and going to distribute it to every single home in Chwani. Would have made it the biggest national newspaper in the country. Alhamdulillah, that deal didn't go ahead. Uh, well, I was just a little fly in the wall in that thing. Uh, anyway, um, the World Bank says it has cut its growth forecast for sub-Saharan Africa this year to 2.8% from an initial 3.3%. It uh, says the commodity slump of 2015 cut short a decade of rapid growth for the region. The bank said growth could take longer to recover as decline in industrial production and a trade dispute between China and the United States take their toll. Its forecast for the year means economic growth is going to lag population growth. So we're going to be putting on more people into the market than we're putting money into the market. And that's happening for a fourth year in a row. So that's adding pressure on pressure. And it will remain uh, stuck below 3%, which it slipped to in 2015. Uh, in its latest report, the bank also cut its 2018 growth estimate to 2.3% from last, year, last October's prediction of 2.7%. The slower-than-expected overall growth reflects ongoing global uncertainty, but increasingly comes from domestic macroeconomic instability, including poorly managed debt, inflation, and deficits. Nigeria, South Africa, and Angola. I can't understand why Nigeria is part of sub-Saharan Africa, but there you go. Lucky I've always thought about it as being West Africa. 
but maybe the world, the world Bank has got different ways in which it divides up the continent. Um, and anyway, us, we're, we're bundled together with Nigeria, Nigeria, South Africa, and Angola, which make up about 60% of sub-Saharan Africa's annual output, all facing various challenges, curbing their contribution to growth. Uh, this downward revision reflects slow growth in Nigeria and Angola due to challenges in the oil sector and subdued investment growth in South Africa due to low business confidence because of Business Day's lousy editorials. Really, uh, is, is that mean and nasty? No, really, seriously. Um, uh, business, business Day and its uh, former editor, Peter Bruce, huh? Is it Peter Bruce, David Bruce, Nigel Bruce? Always get the Bruces mixed up. I think it's Peter Bruce. Uh, has kept South Africa's economic debate stuck in a shallow and artificial environs of neoliberalism. Has, has kept us chained in there. Has ensured that it has uh, trumpeted uh, the, uh, the propaganda of the World Bank, of, of the International Monetary Fund. Of uh, of like 17th century economics hasn't uh, tried to find any kind of like South African solution primarily because it's like such a a British focus kind of newspaper um, uh, hasn't found any hasn't hasn't been able to generate or attract or inspire in any way uh, a South African uh, economic theory. You know, an economic theory that is suited to the South African environment and isn't something that has been cut and paste from uh, something out of the London School of Economics. Uh, you know, uh, someone stole a term paper and it stuck it on a toilet wall. Business day comes along and grabs it down and puts it onto its editorial page on a weekly basis. That's business day. But in a way, it's kind of like uh, reflects uh, the South African environment. No one is really thinking any further than uh, making a buck and forget about everyone else. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, we now find ourselves in a situation where the system has been unable to deliver really, truly, on the expectations of 1994. Uh, simply because the system has been unable to evolve, unable to adapt, because it's like all scary men like Peter Bruce that have kept us constrained. Um, and the sooner we get rid of uh, nonsense like that, the better for our country. Uh, we really need to find our own way going forward. Um, you know, finding a just transition from coal. There, there, there was like something that gave me hope, that there are people in South Africa who do think, yeah, we do need to move away from coal. We do need to cut our carbon emissions, but we're not going to do that at the expense of um, beggaring villages, of depopulating rural zones, of, of turning uh, former coal mining towns into ghost towns. Uh, of uh, like, Look at what has happened with our energy policies since 1994. We've been blundering from one thing to another thing. We've gone on to like, Mbeki's nuclear deal through to Zuma's nuclear deal. And now that nuclear deal is off the table, but now Jeff Khadebe is speaking about his nuclear deal. Um, uh, and in the meantime, yeah, no, no, no. And we're also going to have uh, sustainable uh, energy sources like solar and wind. Uh, 
Uh, so are we going sustainable? Are we going nuclear? Are we going coal? Uh, we've just signed, um, we've got like 200 years worth of coal left under the ground. Uh, Transnet has just uh, signed another huge big uh, coal field development uh, plan with Botswana. We're going to be trucking coal out of this country and it's going to be burning all over the planet for a long time to come. Uh, you get people coming into South Africa investing in the coal sector. They say people say that it's a it's a sunset industry. Well, let me tell you what. Uh, in terms of uh, history, uh, the sun can take a very, 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 very long time to set. So we'll let you chew on that. Uh, we're going to go across to the marketplace. Uh, inshallah, we're going to be back in just a little while. Don't go away. You are listening to the voice of Ahlus Sunnah Wal Jama'ah. Assalamu alaikum, welcome back. Remember, if you want to call in and share your views, perhaps there's something that's been happening, there's something you want to talk about, the Guptas. You want to talk about ESCOM. Uh, you want to talk about um, the price of milk. Hmm? Sure, you drive around Lanesia, you go to the Lanesia shops, and I'll tell you what. The price of milk. Now, there is something that housewives keep a very close look on. My, um, going shopping with my wife, it's like, you know, you've got to, you've got to visit uh, six or seven supermarkets, you know, to make a, a five-rand difference between uh, milk prices. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I know better than to get involved uh, to try and step into in front of that particular oncoming train. Um, had a lot of experience taking my dear old mother shopping and, uh, well, when it came to butter prices. Will you look at that? I can't believe it. can't believe it. That's a price of butter. And that was my mother. And, well, with, uh, <clears throat> uh, with my wife, uh, she does, you know, the big lover of butter. Uh, she, uh, but when it comes to milk, well, then... Well then, you know, you've got to, they have been in, in and out of all kinds of stores in Indonesia, chasing down the, the cheapest price of milk. Right now there's a little shop opposite the taxi rank um, uh, that uh, they really does a really great turnover and they've got really good prices. Cheapest eggs and cheapest milk in Indonesia. Found in a shop opposite the taxi rank in Rose Avenue, just just uh, on the same corner as the KFC. So if you're looking for good price milk, that's where you need to go. If you're looking for good price eggs, that's where you need to go. Um, yeah, eggs getting really expensive. And it's, it's really interesting to see how these small retailers are able to actually bring out lower prices than checkers and uh, um, pick and pay. It's... Uh, yeah, it gives you hope. You know, people say that uh, South Africans lack entrepreneurial spirit, but I don't think so. I don't think. I think, in actual fact, the big thing that prevents us from really realizing our potential is the actual system that we live by. Um, it's not really. It's a, it's a, it's how we tax. It's how we decide to build roads. It's uh, who we decide to build roads with. Um, uh, as I've said many times in the show. South Africa needs to establish a new kind of company. A kind of company that is an extract Sharia compliant, a family-based company that can only have shareholders who come from the family. In other words, you can't sell shares in this. You can only inherit shares in this. If you're born into the family, you can be born into the shares. As a result, the company is not transferable. Um, and as a result, you know who the shareholders are. These are two very big differences. 
they're different from uh, the traditional Western style of company. Um, also, uh, you uh, have a, a, a closer control over your directors. You don't get these rogue directors who come take over uh, because uh, they serve in the interests of a uh, dominant shareholder. Or perhaps they share in the interests of family companies uh, that kind of like uh, keep pace with this company, you know, to get the good deals that fall off and so on. There are many ways of making money in business. That, that You can make money in business by making a loss, you know. Um, kind of like reminds me. That, I mean, basically, that's how Tito Mboweni, probably illegally, uh, paid off Chris Tulsa's, um net open foreign position was basically the uh, the the slush fund for apartheid's death squads. That's what Tito Mboweni paid off. Um, and he probably did so illegally. Um, and, and the way Chris Stoltz did it was, there was most definitely illegally, everything about it was illegal because you had international sanctions against us in those days. But nevertheless, although the sanctions had been lifted, they were the law then. And you've got a 32-year um, prescription period on criminal matters. Uh, so Tito Mawani better hope that he never doesn't end up in jail in his old age for paying off apartheid's odious debt. Mm. How was it paid off? Well, you see, um, Christos deliberately racked up losses in his net open forward position in the final years of apartheid. In fact, I think it was uh, in uh, in what is in fact it was after yeah no. He ran up losses. Yeah, he ran up losses uh, in his forward uh, forward trading. I think it was in ninety seven and ninety eight. After apartheid, Christos paid off apartheid's debt and then uh, by running up a loss uh, in, his, in his forward uh, dealings, in his currency dealings, uh, you guarantee a loss. Uh, you know that the, the price of the rand is going to be 7 rand 50 next month and uh, you say that you'll, um, you'll, you'll buy dollars for 8 rand 50. Uh, that means that someone not only is getting a very good deal in the spot market, but then uh, at a later stage when he comes to, to sell his rands and the rand is recovered, he's going to make a huge big killing. And that's, what, that's essentially what happened. I'm not going into the details of the whole thing. But there you see you can make a loss and you can make a profit as a result out of it. The many ways of making money in business. Um, uh, regarding the World Bank's report on Sub-Saharan Africa, it says high inflation, heavy debt loads have discouraged investors in economies like Zambia and Liberia hitting their growth prospects. Rates of debt in the region are growing and the type of borrowing countries are undertaking is exposing them to vulnerabilities. Uh, he says external debt is shifting from traditional concessional publicly guaranteed sources to more private market-based and expensive sources of finance, putting countries at risk. And they're obviously saying they're not coming to the World Bank for their loans. They're going to the private market. We don't like that. Uh, by the end of 2018, nearly half of the countries in sub-Saharan Africa covered under the low-income country debt sustainability framework. Luckily, that doesn't apply to South Africa because like, so it's still not about 90% of our national debt is locally owned. And that was also, well, in, you know, that's also thanks to apartheid. Um, but we won't go on about that. I'm not going to thank apartheid for anything other than dying. Uh, thanks, apartheid, for dying. It's a bit like um, uh, President Trump saying, yeah, well, now I'll wait for the apologies from the mainstream media for trashing my name. 
And I saw some guy stand up on television and says, I'll be the first one to apologize. I'm very, very sorry that you're a bad president. <laughs> ah, there you go. Well, I'm not laughing at my joke. That's not one of my jokes. So, um, anyway. Uh, economies that do not depend on commodities like Rwanda, Uganda, Kenya, Benin. No, you, uh, Kenya. Why is Kenya being included in this thing? Uh, they've got a very strange way of dividing up Africa as the World Bank. So when they talk about sub-Saharan Africa, they really mean it, you know. They don't have East Africa and West Africa and Southern Africa. No, there's a sub-Saharan Africa. That's okay. Fine. Um, the they, they, uh, economies that do not depend on commodities continue to grow strongly. Albert Zoyfak, the chief economist for, for Africa, the bank, said the region could boost annual growth by nearly two percentage points if it harnesses information technology more effectively. Why did he even bother to open his mouth? Huh? You know, um, he said it's a game changer for Africa. I wonder if he's even been to Africa. He's the chief economist for Africa. Well, it's a bit like Chris Hart being a chief economist and uh, doesn't have an economics degree. Shares in IO technology fell to a record low today, as its former chief investment officer, Piwe Nodwele, told the inquiry into the affairs of the Public Investment Corporation the technology company had been grossly overvalued. In December 2017, the PISC controversially gave 4.3 billion rands to IO, acquiring a 29% stake uh, at 43 rand a share. That valued IO at 14.8 billion rands. Uh, he says, uh, but now Nodwele, who resigned in August 2018 without ever having signed an employment contract with IO, oh, it's a bit like working for Islamic media, uh, said on Monday even a billion rand valuation would have been extreme. He's, so he says it's not even worth a billion rand. But nevertheless, uh, the PIC uh, given IO 4.3 billion rand, that may at its 43 rand a share that if you pay them 43 rand a share for all their shares, that means the entire company would have been worth 14.8 billion. But now uh, their former uh, chief investment officer says, no, in actual fact, it's not even worth 1 billion rand. Uh, he says even a 1 billion rand valuation would have been extreme. He says a maximum valuation of 700 million rand was probably more realistic. He said there is no real intention by the company to deliver on its pre-listing statement, including its ambition revenue targets. He said that they deliberately misled the market. Uh, he said basically, basically he's saying that this company was established so they could take a loan uh, from the PIC. Uh, all that nonsense about, you know, cross-market synergies and we're going to uh, bring in uh, the latest software developments and all that kind of stuff. It's all a lot of nonsense. Um, basically, this is a company whose only real job is to park a 4.3 billion rand loan. Uh, he also said uh, the 30% stake in British Telecommunications SA, which IO had pledged to buy from Africa Equity Empowerment Investments for 990 million rand, was only worth about 180 million rand. The PIC's investment is under scrutiny at the Party Commission of Inquiry into the PIC. Uh, the state asset managers vow to recover its investment. IO shares fell to historic low of 14 rand today, valuing the company at 4.8 billion rands. However, the bid price for IO stock, which reflects the price at which investors are prepared to buy, was just 1 rand 14. So it seems that it's not selling. 
a single trade goes through at this level, the PIC will have lost 97% of its 4.3 billion rand investment. All right, so no one is buying. Last week, IS financial statement showed that more than half of its pre-tax profits in the six months to February came from interest earned on the PIC's funds. Right, so you know, so Iqbal Servizgi is going to uh, the PIC inquiry and said, yeah, but I look at my results. Look, I've got, I've, got, I've got the profit here. What's wrong with you? But it turns out that most of his profit has actually come from earning interest on uh, the loan, the money that he got from the PIC. So he's just a Reba merchant. And his name is Iqbal Serva. That's very sad. He's living on the Riba. IO's investment revenue from bank deposits leapt from a 38.2 million rand a year before before the PIC investment to 115 million rand in the six months of February. That equates to a 56% of group profit before tax of a 266 million rands. Um, uh, Iqbal Server told him part of commission last week the PIC's investment was very legitimate. I mean, it's obviously not... Um, uh, IO's current chief executive, Howard Plykis, was chief invest operations officer at investment, while corporate affairs director Vanessa Govender was the company's executive for human resources. A close relationship between IO and independent men, it was easy, easy for server to ask for favorable articles to be published, uh, Nadwele said. He said, editorial independence at independent media does not exist. Hmm. I wonder, you know, it did exist for a little while there, you know, just prior to 1994. The period sort of 99, halfway through 1991 to 1994 after the elections, there was uh, editorial independence at independent newspapers. It was really a, a rare privilege to be part of that. Yeah, but Tony Arani came in and shut all of that down very quickly, I must say. And now the JSE has been summoned to appear before the PIC inquiry. It has to explain uh, why it, uh, it did not allow the Sagarmata Technologies listing to go ahead. Now, survey says that Sagarmata would have been bigger than Uber. In fact, it says it would have been bigger than APSA. Yeah. He says this company was like the best thing that had ever, ever happened. And the only reason it didn't happen was because the JSE didn't allow it to go ahead. And the JSE didn't allow it to go ahead because it said that it hadn't published its, uh, its, um, its results, audited results. It hadn't published its audited results, and that was why it, didn't, it wasn't allowed to go ahead. Now, there's been a bit of shifting in the story. Um, the survey was adamant that in actual fact that they had uh, sent through their financials and in actual fact the JSC just ignored them. Uh, he says that they did this because their competitors, their competitors, TCO Blackstar, which owns Business Day, and uh, E News uh, 702, uh, the two uh, white um, media organizations in South Africa, uh, and had been waging a campaign against independent newspapers and blatantly putting negative propaganda in the public space to force the JSE to look for a reason to stifle the listing. He claimed Sagamata listed in New York would probably have a valuation of $10 billion. Um, now it would seem uh, that the JSE said Sagamata did not submit its annual financial statement to the CIPC, that's the company registrar on time when the pre-listing statement was approved. This represents a contravention of the Companies Act and therefore the JSE's listing requirements. 
the JEC said it was not aware of the annual financial statements had not been said it was not aware that the annual financial statements had not been admitted to the register of companies when it approved the pre-listing statement, but once it found out about it, it said it wouldn't allow it to go ahead. So now we need to find out. Uh, We're going to find out tomorrow because the JSC is going to be called in and we're going to hear exactly why. Why didn't the JSC allow that Sagamata listing to go ahead? Um, Things haven't been going Iqbal Server's way, I must say. Things have not been going independent newspaper's way. Maybe, you know, it's going to result in a breakup of the group. Maybe it's going to result in uh, independent newspapers becoming independent. Uh, Can a newspaper run? Well, you know, it's got a title, it's got a name, it's got a presence in the marketplace, it's got more than what most internet sites have. Uh, So it has advantage. And uh, if if they play the games right, I reckon there's no problem converting a newspaper into a website and then playing off your distinct advantages on either side. Newspapers are not completely, completely dead. They still have a function, um, particularly with the younger generation. Uh, If you can persuade the younger generation to every now and then pick up a newspaper simply because it's a bit like going and playing a game of Monopoly in a restaurant or a pub, which is what's happening in Europe and America. Um, I know, because I've got a lot of uh, relatives overseas. Uh, and uh, yeah, you regularly see them uh, meeting in a pub or a restaurant and they're having a, a Monopoly evening. Oh, j- j- just last week, my my grandkids, step-grandkids, uh, were across the road playing Monopoly on a Monopoly board. I mean, it's really strange, uh, you know, um, people of my generation haven't played Monopoly for 20 years and suddenly the grandkids are coming out, pulling out Monopoly boards. I'm like, where, where, where did you hear about this stuff? They want to play Scrabble and all of these games, you know, we can actually hold stuff and move it about the table. I mean, apparently this is like, uh, like uh, it's really like a, kind of quite novel for them, you know, because they've always got their smartphones and always playing those silly games, Candy Crush and... What's it, Angry Birds and all of those things. <clears throat> so, yeah, um, if if kids can move back to board games, they can also, uh, you know, every now and then walk in with a newspaper under their arm just to kind of like look, look cool and alternative, you know, retro. Um, so if newspapers were to play off on this, um, plus the fact that uh, newspapers, by being out in the world, by having the, you know, posters on lampposts and so on, uh, they have got a presence in the physical world that the internet sites don't have. And uh, that is a major advantage that should be played off because, um, you know, on the internet sites, you never know what is real and what isn't real. Uh, You never know, is this internet site a genuine internet site? You don't know if they've got like real people behind it or if they're just cutting and pasting stuff from somewhere else. Um, I must admit, we can be sometimes be a little bit um, guilty of that. We do change our copy, though. We don't uh, just um, cut and paste the stuff and read it out on our news bulletins. But we do, we do uh, rely to a great extent on other news agencies. We go and find out what they're reporting, and that's what they 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 doing it to everyone else as well. I was working at MoneyWeb, but it's a, it's a major issue. Working at the Citizen, the Citizen uh, uh, trying to get off News 24, News 24 taking off MoneyWeb. People going and suing each other left, right, and center. But in actual fact, it turns out then everyone's doing it. Uh, so anyway, um, you know, hard hard copy 
it still has a role to play in the world if you play your cards right. Unfortunately, uh, the imagination and uh, innovation at independent newspapers and many newspaper places really fell away in the late 1990s as uh, consolidation and ownership and concentration of ownership started happening and sweeping across the media world. And as a result, you know, they started moving to what they call entertainment journalism. And so now instead of having a real journalist in charge of the newsroom, you get your little entertainment bunnies to come from the tonight section. They've done nothing but rewrite press releases, and now I'm the news editor, telling like real serious journalists who've been like, you know, spilling blood for decades for journalism, and I go and listen to a bimbo. All the serious journalists leave, and the bimbos just pull in, the prostitutes, all of these little... You know, it's a kind of university. I want to be a public relations officer. I want to work for journalists for two years so I can go into public relations and talk about how I used to be this hardened journalist. Like in the next 20 years, I'll talk about how all of the hard times I had as a journalist. And boy, I really know all these journalists. Like, you know, you'd swear you talk to the public relations officers that uh, we've been intimate turned since nursery school. But in actual fact, this is not the case. I'd say about 80% of newsrooms nowadays are filled with these kinds of people people who are dreaming, who've got ambitions of becoming a public relations officer. Mm. Oh, well. You know, it's, it's, it's Western institutions. I guess I'm not going to shed any tears for it. Uh, but I must say that my heart does feel a twinge. The National Energy Regulator of South Africa, that's the, that's the organization that decides how big ESCOM's tariff is going to be allowed to be this year. ESCOM's always wanting it bigger. They're the guys say, you're not going to have that much. Well, you know, um, Silver Ramaphosa, amidst great fanfare in his State of the Nation uh, address, announced that he was going to be given a 69 billion rand cash injection over the next three years. That's 23 billion rand a year to ESCOM uh, as part of a bailout plan. And old um, Pravin Gordon stood up and said, yeah, we're going to make sure that they spend it correctly. We're going to have an officious bystander who's going to come in and is going to ensure that, uh, that you know, there's no easy money being handed out and we're going to keep close tabs on all of this. The National Energy Regulator of South Africa comes along and says, hmm, so ESCOM, you want 15% increases. Um, well, uh, we see that you're getting the 23 billion rand from government this year. All right, so now we're going to reduce uh, the amount of money that you're asking for by 23 billion rand before we decide how much of an increase we're going to give you. So NERSA has just completely nullified uh, any kind of like financial benefit that they're going to get from the loan from, from government because now they're going to get less money from us tariff payers. But, of course, that money that the government gives them came from us in the first place. So, uh, well, you know, it's, it's very difficult not to be um, ambushed by government, isn't it? Yeah, former white commercial farmers in Zimbabwe uh, who had their land expri expropriated in the early 2000s have accepted government's offer of an interim payment of RTGS dollar 53M, 53 million uh, funny Zimbabwe dollars. Uh, that is apparently worth 238 million at current exchange rates. So it's actually linked to the dollar. Um, uh, the RTGS uh, actually stands for, I know where, where is that? Interim payment of RTGS, where? where, where um, I, I, came, I know it's here somewhere. Um, Real-time gross settlement dollar. 
real-time gross settlement dollar. So you come in with a Zimbabwe dollar and you say, uh, I want to spend it. They go and look at what the dollar price is at the moment on the Bloomberg terminal. And uh, they give you the uh, then amount. One uh, real-time gross settlement dollar today can buy you 4 and 50 according to the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe this morning. Uh, in a statement, the Commercial Farmers Union said they had to accept the advance interim payment as some of their members were in financial distress. They says this is a limited fund. It is hoped that those who are not in financial distress do not take it up so as to maximize the effect on others not so fortunate. Wow, how Islamic. Ah, uh, well, that, well, that, that, that uh, well, it's hoped. Well, in actual maybe they should be taking measures to ensure that that is not the case. They should be doing a means test or something like that. Uh, the total bill could run into billions of dollars in terms of compensation for the farmers. The Zimbabwe government is working with other international financial institutions on how best to fund the compensation. Uh, the Zimbabwe government says by the end of April this year, the registration papers for beneficiary farmers will be complete and disbursements will commence. So they're not like the uh, the actual veterans, like you know the 25-year-old veterans uh, that ran onto the farms who hadn't actually been born when uh, Zimbabwe was given independence in 1980. Uh, they, they didn't have to um, go through a registration or verification purpose, but the farmers are having to go through it. Well, well good for them. Hopefully the Zimbabwe government is going to keep its word and honor everything and everything is going to return to, well, return to, is, is going to become some kind, of, some kind of a healthy basis, white people and black people living together in peace in Africa. Maybe it's time we started moving up to Zimbabwe. You get all these funny, strange reports about what people should be doing after the May elections. There's been threats of going and burning houses and all that kind of stuff, but you know, you never know if you really should be paying the attention to that kind of nonsense that you get onto the social media. And that's the kind of thing, you see, social media news, very often you don't know, is the social media news reliable? And that's something that the newspapers have, that they could uh, be working on. You could work out a really nice, trendy... Uh, newspapers could become a retro cool uh, if they played the cards right and if they designed themselves right. Redesign themselves completely, be completely unrecognizable to like the, like the star used to look. You need to be something neat and compact to you that um, uh, a millennial can uh, put under his arm and uh, he can walk around uh, showing people that he's actually got real news out of the real world, you know. Um, well, it would appear that we now have reached the, the end of our time. Jazakallah for joining us. I make dua that whatever trade and activity you got up to today has been profitable and above all halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You are listening to the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah.